We're in this series, uh, we've, we're in our Advent series, and uh, if you're like me, it's st- still struggling to sort of connect with that concept that Christmas is actually right around the corner. But uh, we're in our Advent series, and we're calling this series Real Christmas. Last week, we talked about real family and the, the genealogy of Jesus and how that's connected to the whole story. And this morning, uh, our title is Real Angels. And uh, we want to look at the Luke 2 story and, and talk about the, the role of the angels, talk about the story of Christ's birth, uh, partially through that lens this morning. I, I was uh, reading a book, There's a, uh, years ago, Billy Graham wrote a book on angels, and he relates a story about John Pollock and his wife, and they were missionaries in the South Pacific, and they uh, uh, went to this island that had never before, the natives in this island, never before seen white people, and they were scared to death, and the witch doctor of this tribe told the people of the tribe that these missionaries had come to kill all of their babies. And, and so the men of the village gathered around uh, their, the, the Pollock's tent that night uh, to kill them, and as the story goes, the Pollock's um, spent the whole night on their knees praying, asking God to protect them, asking God to save them. Well, uh, nothing happened that night, and as time went on, uh, they learned the language of the tribe, and many people in the tribe became followers of Christ, including the chief of the tribe. And and one day, John Pollock asked him, uh, why didn't you kill us that night? And the chief said, well, Let me ask you a question. Where did you get all of those men? And he said, weren't any men. It was just my wife and I. We were the only ones there. And he said, no, that your tent was surrounded by these large men, and we were afraid to do anything. That's why we didn't attack you. You you know, for thousands of years, there have been stories like that of, of the appearance of angels, of God sending messengers, of protecting people, uh, pronouncing judgment, all of those things using angels. And, and one of the th- challenges for us is that probably most of us have never seen an angel uh, up close and personal. And, and so sometimes it's a little hard for us to, to sort of understand that whole idea uh, of the angels. We read the Christmas story, but it's easy to sort of relegate the Christmas story to something that you hear once a year, and, and it, it's a great story, and we believe that Jesus came, but we, we don't give a lot of attention to this whole idea uh, of the angels. That's part of then, but, but what about now? What does God say about angels now? What do we think about them now? I, I want to just take us to Luke 2 to sort of frame this whole idea for us, and we're going to look at the passage of the birth of Christ Uh, when the angels appeared to the shepherds. So in Luke 2, we're going to read verses 8 to 14. Read along with me. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's, there's a story, but 
you, you know, you've heard the story how many times your whole life, right? And you're so familiar with the story, and it's, it's easy to just sort of think about, okay, I just, you know, I get it, Larry. I know the story. This is this Christmas story. We read it every year. I've read it a thousand times. And, and we don't really think about what the story is telling us and, and what, what's the context of the whole story. For example, the very first thing that it says is that in the same region, and if you were living in the first century, those words would mean a lot to you because you understood that they're talking about in the region of Jerusalem, around Jerusalem. Bethlehem is about six miles from Jerusalem. And in the hills around Bethlehem, there were shepherds. And, and their job, as we understand from history, was they raised sheep that were used in the sacrifice at the temple, that they were close to Jerusalem. The sheep that they raised were raised to be sacrificed. So these shepherds are out with their flock at night uh, uh, with those sheep. Now, you, you think we, we think we know a lot about shepherds, and one of the things that we always talk about at Christmas is that the shepherds were of the lowest caste in the social strata. They, they, they had no access to resources. They weren't allowed to, um, to even testify in court. They, they weren't allowed to participate in, in the rituals and ceremonies because they were considered unclean, while everybody else is going through all the purification for all their rituals and ceremonies. The shepherds are out with the sheep, so when those rituals and ceremonies actually come, they are considered unclean and aren't allowed to participate in it. And so shepherds are really left out. Shepherds are the lowest of the low, except for one group of shepherds, these guys. Because what the passage tells us is that they were keeping watch over their flock by night. Uh, the, the, the Greek has an interesting play on words here. We don't have the right language for keeping watch over their flocks actually means they were watching watches. Th that these were the shepherds that didn't have the day job. They were the night shift shepherds. They, they didn't even qualify to be one of the daytime shepherds. They were, the, they were on the night shift. They got to stay out all night and watch sheep. And here's the deal. They had one job. Their one job was to have as many sheep in the morning at the end of their shift as they did in the beginning of their shift that night. That was their job. Just to come back with the same number of sheep that you started with, that's, that's what your whole life is about. And so these were the night shift shepherds. They were out there. Uh, th they were the lowest of the low. They didn't even get the day job. And yet what we see is that they are giving a, given a significant role in the Christmas story. They're given a prominent role in the Christmas story. They're, an angel comes and speaks to them. And, and I love this because it says suddenly an angel appears an angel of the Lord, most scholars assume that it's Gabriel because he's already spoken to Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary, and so it's another message that comes from God, and, and, and so they assume that it's Gabriel the angel that is talked about in Scripture, and he comes with this great message. He shows up in the night sky. Uh, you know, we don't have any great pictures, but I, I have a couple of pictures of angels here, um, and th this is one that has wings, and so we, this is kind of how we typically think, well, unless you like little, the little cherub kind of angels that sit on, you know, on the cloud with a harp and, you know, and look like 
infants, that, that's your kind of angel. But a lot of angels are, are depicted like this because they, they did strike fear into the hearts of people. But, but this is just our best imagination because the Bible really doesn't give us too much. We, we know uh, in a couple of places in Scripture, in Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 15, that it talks about the angels having wings. But there are other parts of the Bible that mention angels that, that apparently don't have wings. Uh, in Isaiah, they have four sets of wings, but that's really hard to draw and kind of hard, you know. So this is the best because that's kind of how they fly with, you know, of course they fly with two wings, right? I mean, th so we make angels look like that. A and then uh, we have this one. And this is another picture of an angel with the shepherds, but this guy doesn't have wings. So people, artists over the centuries have just taken their best shot at describing what the angels look like. The, the one thing that we know about the angel on this night is that he scared the shepherds out of their minds. In fact, the, 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 the language is great because it says that the, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. One of the problems with these pictures is they always make the, the light around the angel. But what happened that night is it says the glory of the Lord shone all around the shepherds. Suddenly they were enveloped in this light. They were enveloped in the glory of the Lord and it scared them out of their minds. There's an angel. I think I would be a little scared if an angel showed up and oh, this brilliant light was around me. Take, you know, you're, you're, you're a shepherd. You're up on the hill. You're not expecting this. This is what you do every night of the year. It's the same routine. And all of a sudden, this angelic being shows up with this great light. And what it says is they were greatly afraid. And, and this is, they were filled with a great fear. And this is another place that we don't have a great English translation for it, uh, but the, the Greek words are phobeo, phobeo, that when they wanted to emphasize something, they would say it twice. And phobeo is where we get the word phobia, but the idea is that they were so afraid that he wanted to emphasize it so much that he used the word twice to emphasize just how scared these guys were. It was sort of, you can't breathe scared, your heart stops scared, your knees get weak kind of scared. It was that idea. They were terrified by this angel that came to see them, that came with a message. And so there are four parts to the angel's message that I want to talk about this morning. And the first one, it begins with fear. So we're going to talk about uh, the fear. Uh, we're going to talk about assurance. And we're going to talk about the message. And we're going to talk about the sign. So the first is the angel that comes and, and the angel appears and they're afraid. They're filled with fear. They're terrified. I'm sure they, that somebody, maybe all of them scream. Somebody might be crying. I mean, these guys, I mean, how would you feel if you were there? They're afraid. So the very first thing the angel says is, fear not. And one of the shepherds said, that's easy for you to say. He says, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So we go right from fear, don't be afraid, fear not, because I'm bringing great news to you guys. I've got something to tell you that is so amazing, so incredible. And so the next thing he begins is to give them assurance that what is happening here is a good thing. 
This is a great thing. This is really good news. He's a herald. He's a messenger proclaiming good news. So he says, don't be afraid because I've got good news for you. For unto you is born this day a Savior that all of the promises that God's ever made, all of those prophecies that you've been hearing about all of your life, all of those prayers that you said over Passover and all the other times of year, all of those prayers about the coming of Messiah and God releasing his people and God keeping his promise, all of those are coming true tonight because the Savior is born. God has come. And that's great, great news. So he, he calms their fears and then he gives them assurance and then he tells them the message. For unto you is born in the city of David, Bethlehem, the birthplace of David, the place that 750 years before God had prophesied through Micah that the Messiah would come from. For unto you in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the message. The message of Christmas is that for unto you is born in the city of David, that God came, that God poured himself into a human form. And here's the thing that I love. The shepherds are given such a prominent place in this story. It's pretty spectacular because they were nothing. There is no way if you were going to make up an account of the coming of the Messiah that you would use shepherds. You would have used Caesar Augustus. You would have used Herod the Great. You would have used some well-known person. You would have said, yeah, and the Messiah came and he appeared to Caesar Augustus and Caesar Augustus was overwhelmed and he, and he knelt before him and that's how Christianity came. You wouldn't use the shepherds. They didn't mean anything to anybody. And Caesar Augustus was the most powerful person in the world, but the Messiah wasn't pronounced to him that night. You, you see, he thought that he was the most powerful person in the world. He thought he was the most important guy in, in the world. But, but that night, we find out that that's not true. You, you see, Caesar Augustus thought that if he just pronounced it, that, that he would, everybody in the known world would have to go and, and be part of a census. They'd have to go to their hometown and be part of a census, and then he could get his tax money from them. He could get more money, and so he thought this was about him. He thought this was about his decree, but what was really happening is that God had, had promised that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth. They're in another town. Somehow, we need to get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's about a 90-mile journey, and how do we do that? Well, we'll, ask, we'll have Herod do a proclamation so that we can get Mary and Joseph because they're not typically going to travel in the last part of her pregnancy, uh, but we're going to get them to go to Bethlehem because that's where the Savior is going to be born, and God is moving history. God is orchestrating history so the Messiah will be born in the exact time in the exact place that he promised, and Caesar thought it was about him. Go figure, but here are the shepherds, and, and let, me, let me help look at it this way. God, I believe, showed up to the shepherds. He sent an angel to the shepherds because he wanted us to understand that the story of the coming of Jesus is for everybody. Nobody's left out. He sent that angel to the shepherds to tell them everybody gets access to God. Nobody gets left out. If the angel had appeared to Caesar Augustus, then we would assume that you got to be a great ruler, you got to be somebody important, you got to get a ticket, you got to do something special to get in if you want a chance of seeing the Messiah. If he'd have gone to Herod the Great, we would uh, just assume that, boy, if we're just regular people, we're never going to have access to him. 
But the angel appeared to shepherds because the good news is for all people. The good news is for everyone that the Messiah has come and we can have access to him. So the shepherds are given a very um, very prominent place in the story. And the angel brings the message. There, uh, there are um, a lot of myths that surround the angels, and, uh, but, but there are some things that we know from Scripture. Uh, we know that angels carried out God's judgment. That's in 2 Samuel 24, verses 16 and 17. In Psalm 103, 21, we know that they serve God. In Psalm 148.2, we know angels praise and worship God. In Daniel 6.21, we know that they protect God's people. And if you read the story of the resurrection, you know that they moved the stone. Uh, You know that they were present at the resurrection. So we have those pictures uh, of the angels. We know that the angels in the garden when Jesus, uh, during the resurrection, uh, were just look like young men in dazzling white robes, and we don't get any indication of any other thing about them. But we know that they were there. We know that they were part of the story. We know that they, God used them to be his messengers. So we have these ideas about angels, but this day, an angel came, and he said, born unto you today is the Savior, and he is Christ the Lord. Well, now the second part of that is so great because all of a sudden, he tells them that there's also going to be a sign. There's fear, there's assurance, there's message, and there's the sign. And I love this part because here's the sign. Here's how you're going to know that this is the truth. Here's the big finale to the story. So an angel has shown up. The glory of the Lord shines around everybody. He makes this great, this great pronouncement that unto you is born a Savior. The Messiah has come. The King is here. God has kept his promise. The thousands of years of promise. All of this is true. Every God has done everything. And here's how you're going to know it's the truth. You're going to find him in a stable. Really? Really? Is that the best you can do, God? We've gone through the, all of this trouble. We have an angel show up to pronounce the, the, the truth, the good news, that God, you have finally come, you've finally kept your promise, you've finally done it, and the best you can do is a stable and a manger? That's the sign. And, and again, here's the deal. The shepherds, if Jesus had been born in, in Caesar's palace, if, if Jesus had been born in, at Herod's palace, the shepherds couldn't have got in there. They would have never had access to Jesus. But because he was in a manger, they knew what mangers were like. Because he was in a stable, they knew what stables were like. And they knew they had access to the Christ. They had access to the Messiah. And they knew at that second, they knew in that moment that this was for them. That they could be participants. That they could be part of the great unfolding of God's glory and God's good news. Nobody's left out. Nobody's too far gone. Nobody's too low. We all have access through Jesus to God. He has given us access, and he's given these incredible pictures with the shepherds and with the manger. I have another picture for you. It's a last one just to sort of help debunk myths, but because we, that's probably more likely what the manger looked like than the really cool ones that we use, uh, or the wood and and 
nicely made and all of that. There was probably, there was a feeding trough and it was probably just carved out of the rock um, at the cave. And that's more likely, we don't know for sure, but that's more likely where would look like the place that Jesus, the baby Jesus slept. Again, the whole point of it is that we have access, the shepherds had access. The sign, the, the great sign that it was true from the angels is that you can go and see him. You can go and meet him. Well, then, you know, uh, the, the heavens broke open and all of the angels came and uh, it was a heavenly host, it says. And, and, it's, it, and so let me just read again what the passage says. And uh, verse 13, and suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of heavenly host. Host is often referred to in the, in the ancient times as an army. So an army of angels uh, came and uh, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. Think about the message. Glory to God in the highest, that God is above everything that he gets the glory, that at the end of the day, this isn't about me, this isn't about you, this, this isn't about the shepherds, but this is about God saying, I love you so much, you're so important to me, I value you so much that I'm gonna put myself into human form, I'm gonna come uh, humbly, I'm gonna come to a, in a way that you can have access to me, I'm gonna give my life for you so that we can have access to the God of the universe, so that we can have a relationship with the God of the universe, but he gets the glory. It belongs to him. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. So God gets the glory. What we get is the peace. That's awesome. The idea of peace is a wholeness. It's a completeness. What we get is completeness. What we get is being made whole by the love of God. What we get is having the God of the universe look at all of our faults, look at all of our sin, look at all the places that we've fallen short and say, I love you. And I'm going to be part of your life. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to transform you. And I'm going to make you whole. And you are going to have peace. You see, peace is a byproduct of a relationship with Christ. Peace comes when Christ makes us whole. That's the promise. That's the message. And peace on earth with whom he is pleased. Please can also be translated goodwill or other things. But that it creates a picture for us that God is pleased when we're at peace. God is pleased when we've received his message and he's begun to transform us from the inside out and that he is pleased with us. And I love the Zephaniah that we use, you know, 317, that, that uh, this picture of that. Did, did you catch the last part of that verse? That sometimes God sings over us. That's, that's a picture of what it means when, when God is pleased, with whom he is pleased. That when he thinks about us, sometimes God bursts into song. He's so crazy about us. He loves us so much. We mean so much to him that sometimes when he thinks about us, he just breaks into a song. I don't know what that song is like, but I'd sure like to hear it. It's an awesome idea. That's the story. And we have access to that through, through Jesus. Well, let's finish the um, let's finish the rest of the story in verses 15 to 20. It says, when the angels went away from, um, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, 
which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been uh, told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So after the angels departed, the shepherds said, well, we ought to go. We ought to go check out the sign. Let's go see. And sure enough, when they got there, they found the baby in the manger, in the stable, just as the angels had told them. And you know what their first response was? It wasn't, okay, let's build a huge building and we can have our pictures on it because we're the first responders. We're here first. We get dibs on having our pictures up. We can sign something. We can write something. We're going to do a movie, a book. We'll get book rights. Well, whatever it is. You know what their first response was? They worshiped. They praised God. It wasn't about them. They were just shepherds. It was about what Jesus had done. It's about God's love for them. It's about what he had done. And their first response was to worship. Here's the thing. When we finally come to see who Christ is, when we finally recognize the fact that we're lost and now we're found, that God came and that we have access to him, when we finally realize that, our first response is worship. It's gratitude. It's amazement. It's a thank you. That's what the shepherds did. And what I find so amazing is, is here are the shepherds, and they're, you know, we've, we've already beat it to death, right? They're the lowest of the low, right? The lowest caste and the social order, all, all of those things. Uh, they have no platform. And, and yet they can't keep themselves from telling people what happened. That they told everybody the story and people are amazed and I'm sure people went, shepherds, really? Why you guys? But they had the story to tell and not only did they have a story to tell, but they were worshiping the Christ because they had access. They had seen Jesus. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I've ever actually seen an angel. Maybe, I don't, but I'm sad that I missed it if I did. I don't think I've ever seen an angel, but but I do understand this part about the scripture. Second Corinthians 5.18 to 20 says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So here's what Paul is saying. That Paul is saying that the angels were messengers. The angels were sent by God to proclaim the good news that the Christ had come. The second that the, the, that the shepherds saw Jesus and had that experience of coming into contact with Jesus and recognized that they now had access to God, they became messengers and they told everybody that they could find that what had happened and what they had seen. And now the Apostle Paul is saying, now what God has done is he has made us his messengers, that it's our job to become messengers. So I don't know. I don't think I've ever really seen an angel. 
but and, and sometimes people say, well, if I could just see an angel, or, or why don't we see angels the, the same way now that, 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 that we read about or that people used to talk about? Why don't we see them as much anymore? I, I will say, here's one reason I believe, is because God has called us to become the messengers. He's given us the task of being his messengers, of taking his good news, that, that we're the picture of people who don't necessarily have great standing in the world, aren't necessarily famous or powerful, but we've seen Jesus, and we are living proof that everyone has access to God through Christ, and we're his messengers. So people may never see an angel, but it doesn't mean they should miss the message, because we're the messengers now. That doesn't mean God isn't going to continue to use angels and there's not an occasional angel sighting or anything like that. God can do whatever he wants, but what, but what he's calling us, he's calling us to be his messengers. And then here's the other part of the good news. In Acts 1.8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses, you'll be my messengers in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, not only have I called you to be my messengers, but I'm going to empower you to be my messenger. I'm going to give you the strength to be my messenger. I'm going to give you the words to be my messenger. And here's where it begins, is that we are people who have seen Jesus. We are people who have experienced the Christ. We are people who have been to the manger and have recognized that we have access to God through Christ, that he has come and begun to transform our lives. And what we do is tell people, what we do is allow people to see through our lives who Jesus is. We become his messengers. But do I believe in angels? You bet. But I also believe that we're called to be messengers. That God has given us that place and that purpose. That's part of his calling in our lives. That we're to be his messengers, to be his voice, to be a picture of Jesus to lost people in the world. It's good news. God's come, and we're called to be his messengers. So here's, here's the question this morning. Are you ready to be a messenger? Are you ready? Because I think there are a lot of people that need to hear it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, thank you for the picture that you give us of the angels and the, and the story of the shepherds and, and the truth that we have access to 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 the God of the universe because you came. But Lord, um, we thank you for that and, and we, we want to receive that this morning. Lord, we also recognize the fact that you've called us to be messengers, that we're to be bearers of the good news because, Lord, we have, because you found us and we have found access to God through Jesus. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an encouraging and a challenging um, reminder. I just can't help but remember 
Here's something that was said to me when we first moved to town was that 80% of Scottsdale doesn't go to church. And so that just, that's something I'll be thinking about this week. How many opportunities have I let go by um, without sharing? All right, well, let's stand. And we're going to sing one more carol together. I did this again. We're doing the offering. So I'm going to make